you guys being in the space as well, there's a lot of conversation about what was happening with interest rates. So Tiff Macklin was saying that, you know, if you're a business owner or if you're an investor, you know, rest assured that interest rates are going to remain fairly low um, for a very long time. And I and those are words for a very long time. So you are listening to the Savvy Real Estate Investor Show, the podcast dedicated to empowering you to invest for your family's future. Listen in to learn about different strategies successful investors use to live their best lives. Whether you are starting out on your real estate wealth building journey or a seasoned investor looking for the next unfair advantage, this is the show for you. Each conversation will help you be more savvy when it comes to understanding how to leverage real estate to achieve your goals and live an extraordinary life. Your host is none other than seasoned investors and power couple, Jose and Khadija Jafferji, founders of the Savvy Real Estate Group, where we have been helping passive investors grow their wealth and getting them one step closer to financial freedom since 2008. Hey everyone, we have Saman Habibi on the show today. Uh, really excited to have a conversation with uh, somebody who is a boots on the ground realtor right here in the greater Toronto area. And one of the reasons we wanted to open up this conversation was just to kind of have a real conversation and discuss real things happening in our market today. So um, by the time this episode goes out, we're probably going to be close to the end of 2022. And, you know, it has definitely been an interesting second quarter of the year. And um, so I'll tell you a little bit about Saman. Um, he second is half. an, sorry? Second half. Second half. Yeah. Uh, Second half. half. Um, He is an agent with uh, Right at Home Realty, um, practices primarily in the Durham region. He is also an investor. He's done a whole bunch of duplex conversions, um, is versed with the multifamily space and definitely versed with investment focused real estate. So um, helping a lot of investors acquire uh, and sell real estate. And I'm sure that he has lots of insight about what his clients have been facing and just what the market is doing in general, especially over the last little while. And, you know, I think that that's sort of the the golden ticket everyone's looking for is for someone to tell them, hey, what's going on and what is, you know, what are the next moves and how do we plan for 2023 really? Because I think a lot of people are just paralyzed because either they've been through some hardship or they've seen people go through hardship. So we really just want to have a conversation about all of that and really what, you know, I know no one has a crystal ball, but maybe we can talk a little bit about what the indications are in the market and what we think is going to be coming. So I will let Simon tell you a little bit more about himself, his story, how he got started, all of that good stuff. So anyway, without further ado, uh, thanks Simon for being on the show. Thank you, thank you, Jose and Khadija for having me. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, thank for the thank you for the introduction. As uh, as you mentioned, I am a full time realtor, uh, but going back a little bit, I started my uh, my career in accounting. I got my CPA and CA designation and worked at uh, one of the biggest accounting firms in in Canada for some time for four years, and. Um, in that um, world, I got to really learn a lot about audit assurance um, and essentially knowing how to identify risk, whether it's for our own company or for an outside company, how to audit that risk, how to determine uh, if they if they have a good plan in place to mitigate that risk. Um, 
And then essentially just really look at financial statements and audit financial statements and provide an opinion on it, which I think, you know, really transfers into real estate because um, we did that, you know, for for clients on an annual basis. But in real estate, I get to do that on every deal, essentially figure out if there's any risk, relay that message to our clients, and then really come up with a plan as to how we go- we're going to identify the risk, what the time horizon is uh, for the project, for the investor. So it, that, tra- that skill has really transferred and helped me. Um, um, you know, have confidence in myself and, and in the value that I provide to my clients. But I think it, it also gives um, uh, some comfort to my clients knowing that they have someone competent on their side, um, you know, working, especially when you're up against, you know, 60, 70,000 other realtors. It's good to have a an, an edge uh, on top of them. And then after that, I went into industry and worked at um, Mega International and uh, did a lot of financial planning and analysis and essentially, you know, worked on um, budgeting, financial statements, forecasting. And I think that, again, transfers over to real estate because now I get to do that with every single project that I present to my investor clients and really get to build on a, a model as to what that model is going to look like today, tomorrow, you know, and especially in this market when rates are are a bit higher and there's a bit more risk on the table. But otherwise, you know, I've been able to, um, in the real estate world, come in, really help investors, whether it's um, uh, uh, beginning beginner investors or novice or, or very experienced investors. So worked on single family deals, worked on duplex conversions, worked on multifamily deals and land assembly deals. And um, actually, a, and that land assembly tur- turned into a project now where the developer has, uh, has approved plans to build think around 300 or so units on it here in Whitby. So uh, a lot of, uh, a lot of experience and, and boots on the ground experience here, but yeah, nevertheless, um, it's never a dull moment in, in the real estate world. <laughs> for sure. For sure. And uh, I, I wanted to know what, what got, got you into real estate? Like, was mm-hmm. there, uh, was there a moment where, Hey, I'm, I'm going to start investing in real estate? I mean, if I can, if I go back to the the very roots of how this all started for me, um, you know, the the term real estate I find is a very loose term, especially when when we talk with you know um, beginner investors. You know, real estate can be um, buying a pre construction um, yeah. uh, investment property. It could be going into real estate and acting as a realtor. It could be you know going into the more advanced stuff. So f- for me, real estate. Um, really started that idea really came to me uh, by my father. So when I was graduating university, um, I, you know, looking back at it now, I remember them looking at making a purchase. Um, and I think he was the first one to kind of introduce real estate to me. And his introduction was, you know, go get your real estate license. There's maybe, we're maybe going to buy one or two properties and you may be able to get a good commission out of it. So that was the, right. the initial <laughs> introduction to real estate. But I think, you know, coming from a, um, from an immigrant um, family um, and going back to where we came from, which is Iran, like it's, that economy is not um, as diverse as it is here in North America. Right. So in, in Iran, it's very much hard asset. It's real estate is pretty much like, you know, the way you go or the way you used to go and which is what my family is used to. So um, I think that knowledge was strong with my parents and, you know, that that's an asset that they really understood and it was easy to uh, explain to me. So I'd say that was my first introduction to real estate. And then once I got into real estate, it was, um, at my brokerage, really finding a mentor who was specializing in this space and in the investment space. And that really started with me going out to property workshops that he was hosting. Um, went there, really got to see the bungalows, got to see, you know, what this whole conversion thing is about, got to really dive into the numbers, understand the numbers, understand the refinance process, 
and uh, really see that there, you know, there's an opportunity here to go into an asset and have control over the lift versus, you know, going into the stock market where you really don't have any control over the lift. So a um, bit of a long answer, but that, that was my initial introduction to, to real estate. Yeah. No, nice, nice. Yeah, yeah. And so, tell us a little bit about your, um, kind of like your current portfolio and what that looks like. Um, mm-hmm. I know you mentioned uh, earlier, you have uh, a lot of duplex conversion experience. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe so walk, uh, walk us through that. Yeah, sure. Um, so on, on my own, I done around five or six, uh, yeah, six conversions, uh, sold three, kept three in the portfolio. Um, the reason for the sales was essentially, um, to have capital at hand and to be able to go into, um, properties with better development opportunities. So, um, the properties that I hold right now sit on bigger lots. So they give me the opportunity to do additional building on it and they have better zoning opportunities on them as well. So, um, you know, the, the one thing that I've noticed is that as prices start to increase, um, you know, you need to have the option to do something with the land. Right. And for me right now, uh, on the print, on the, um, single family building lot, um, that we own the, the next biggest opportunity or the next highest and best use is going to be either the garden suite or, you know, some sort of third or fourth dwelling. So the properties that we decided to keep were, um, properties with, you know, I'd say 50, minimum frontage and 120, 130 uh, depth. Um, so that's that's what I've kept to myself. But in terms of, um, you know, and of course, a couple flips in, in between to also be able to raise a bit more uh, money and, and have things in-house. But besides that, yeah, the, the, the duplex conversion experience has been interesting because it's been a very simple asset uh, for investors to get into. And a lot of investors are interested in this. So uh, in 2021, I think we helped somewhere around 21 or 22 investors kind of do this um, and came to a point where it was a very, you know, risk-free um investment to make, right? So we knew what we were getting. We knew what the ARVs were going to be uh, at the end of the year, at the end of the project due to the high comparables that we were seeing in the market. And the process was essentially, you know, down to a very simple process to follow. I had a, I have a Rolodex of, um, of people that I use and in the order that I use and essentially any clients of mine who purchase with me, I essentially hand this Rolodex over to them. And I say, here it is. You decide who you want to call each trade. There's maybe two or three of the, of uh, each trade on that Rolodex. And these are people that I work with. So I give that Rolodex to them and kind of give them the freedom to learn and kind of experiment. But in terms of what I do, like the, uh, the one thing that I always do with every single client is make sure that I'm there for the planning process. So the planning process where we have to decide the design of the the lower unit and that design essentially goes to the city. So I want to make sure that I'm there to um, essentially uh, reduce any risk that there may be in terms of what we're building. So I want to make sure that my clients are going to build something that's going to be, that's going to achieve um, uh, a great comparable for them at the point of refinance. And that typically comes down to number of bedrooms and bathrooms. I want to make sure I'm there so I can kind of visualize what's, what kind of of uh, square footage we have and how we can best utilize that space. Yeah, no, that's awesome. So, uh, yeah, you talked about, you know, um, like a heavy purchasing year in 2021. And I think 2021 mm-hmm. and early 2022 were, uh, you know, kind of the peak of what we have experienced over the last decade. Um, talk to us a little bit about, you know, what has happened since and, mm-hmm. and you know, what investors are facing in the market, smaller investors, especially who have mm-hmm. purchased uh, single families or, or perhaps purchase at the peak. 
and or perhaps tell us, you know, maybe how the duplex model it was able to to sort of shield them from that. I'm just interested in your insights about, you know, yeah. what what investors have gone through over the last sort of uh, year. Yeah, I mean, I've always when I spoke to my uh, investor clients, I always spoke about real estate being impacted by you know two or three things, right? It's typically um, the income levels that investors can bring to the table. It's um, it's the interest rates that are available in the market and it's the supply and demand. So every time I spoke to my investors about, you know, whether this is going to be a good investment or not, or trying to foreshadow the future, we always spoke about those three things. We said, what's happening with incomes, what's happening with employment, what's happening with interest rates and what's happening with supply and demand. And, you know, from, from my circle of friends and investors that we had, that income side always remained to be strong. I, I tend to um, attract investors who, work downtown, um, work in the finance world or from an engineering background um, uh, in the tech space. And, you know, every time I spoke to these people, everyone had good jobs. So, you know, for us, that income, um, that income aspect was always great. People had jobs, people um, that I knew and my uh, clients knew uh, in their circle of uh, people, people were getting promoted. You know, we were talking about how much money they were, they were making. And that narrative that we saw was very different from what was being uh, projected in the media. In the media, there was a lot of like, you know, there's a lot of uh, low paying jobs. And I was like, yes, I understand there's a lot of low paying jobs. And, you know, we see that probably at our, at the retail uh, level, but at the, you know, at the corporate level, we weren't really seeing that. So that income um, uh, component always seemed to be strong in terms of interest rates, you know, you guys being in the space as well, there's a lot of conversation about what was happening with interest rates. So Tiff Macklin was saying that, you know, if you're a business owner or if you're an investor, you know, rest assured that interest rates are going to remain fairly low um, for a very long time. And I, and those are words for a very long time. So we had a bit of comfort over over interest rates as well. Um, however, we did stress test property. So when uh, interest rates were around, you know, 0.99, I think it was HS. BC that was offering it at one point or even 1.19, something like that. We were stress testing at around 3% and um, numbers were fine. There was no really, um, there's no really risk there. So income was okay. Interest rates were okay. And the supply and demand, um, you know, we knew that the supply was very low and we knew that the demand was very high. So when we kind of stepped back and, and said, what can happen here? Um, I said, you know, there's three things that can impact real estate prices. The, the one thing that we're, we don't have control over is interest rates and the communication that we're getting is that interest rates are going to remain low. So in terms of kind of identifying what we're going to do or, and if that strategy is going to work, it, you know, it seemed like it, it was good. Uh, it was a good opportunity to purchase. And I'd say 90% of my clients were able to purchase refinance um, mid to late 2021 and even er, even um, early 2022. Um, and, you know, the saving grace was that there was huge appreciation in the Durham, in the Durham market. There was around, 25 to 30% appreciation across the board from Pickering all the way to Clarington. Um, so a lot of investors were able to pull some money out. And of course, there are some investors that are still uh, not done the project and um, they're, you know, they're waiting to see what's going to happen with their refinance process. But, you know, has a refinance process been impacted? Yeah, of course, it's it's been impacted, you know, across the board, right? It's not even just real estate. It's, it's, it's everywhere. You talk about every single asset class from real estate to, uh, to the financial markets, the crypto, everything's kind of taking a beating right now. So, you know, it, it's hard to kind of, um, you know, point fingers at one thing, but I would say, you know, from, from that duplex conversion strategy, is that strategy still alive? 
Um, I'm telling my investors right now that, you know, there's really no point in doing a full conversion right now because the spread between a turnkey property versus a an as-is property is just not large enough. And two, the, the biggest risk right now is the refinance risk. So if you can mitigate that risk and um, one, deploy less capital upfront and have a turnkey property and not have to worry about a refinance, there's really no point in stressing over a construction project, having to, you know, come up with plans for materials materials for labor and so on. So um, uh, our our focus here has shifted a little bit. We're really guiding people towards buying just turnkey properties um, simply due to the fact that there's a bit more risk right now. And um, it, the best way to mitigate it is not to really have to deal with those risks. Yeah. yeah. Actually, that was going to be my next <clears throat> question, which you, <throat> which you just answered. Yeah. Um, so you are, you're still advising them to buy right now because obviously you're getting great deals you're able to negotiate great prices mm-hmm. and buying uh turnkey <clears throat> are you seeing you know the the supply there for turnkey duplexes and and um you know what type of pricing are you looking at uh, currently yeah so um initially uh Around March, April, May, we weren't really advising people to to buy. There was just too much risk, and you know, I'm um, I run a very tight shift um, with my business. I'm, you know, hold a, a good reputation. Um, very confident in saying that there's maybe one investment that's been purchased at the peak of the market. <clears throat> Besides that have never taken a push strategy, uh, have never sold pre-construction. I just don't believe in it. I'm not going to push it. Um, so the the strategy was not aggressive um, to begin. Um, and I think it really worked in our favor because the longer people waited, the the more prices came down. So, you know, within from uh, peak February 2022 till now, we're down around 27, 28%. Um, and, you know, we were kind of looking at the Durham market and what was happening. And we were seeing a lot of property tours happening. And me and my business partner, we were just wondering, like, you know, are we doing something wrong here? Are we uh, being too um, uh, too safe over here with, with not doing property tours, with not really pushing properties um, to our investors? And, you know, we're comfortable saying that we did the right thing and not pushing properties from February until essentially now. Um, but the trend that we've noticed uh, since July of 2022 is that um, the prices have plateaued or in fact starting to increase slightly. And by slightly, I mean maybe one or 2% month over month. But essentially prices have plateaued uh, mainly due to low inventory levels. So in the Durham region, we currently hold um, the lowest uh, months of inventory in the GTA, uh, which means that prices are are going to remain stable uh, for the foreseeable future. In terms of to your second part of your question, in terms of um, where, where are numbers at now, you know, just to give you a perspective, at peak of the market, a turnkey duplex was around um, 1.1 to 1.250. Uh, and those are just based on uh, comparables that um, I've seen in the market. Um, now that number is down to eight to 850. So you can buy a turnkey for eight, 850. Um, and in this market, sometimes it's even hard to sell for 800, 850. Um, I had a, an off-market property that was legalized in 21 uh, in Oshawa in the McLaughlin neighborhood uh, on a 58 by 135 foot lot. Uh, and we were offering it at 800K and we were still having a hard time selling the property. Um, and I think mainly due to the fact that, again, I think it goes back to, you know, talking about your, your clientele, um, 
you know, these people are smart. They're reading the news. Uh, most of them are invested in the financial markets. They can kind of, they can cut through the BS and see that, you know, there's, there's perhaps going to be another interest rate hike, you know, coming up this week. And, you know, it's winter months. There's really no, no need to rush into the market and people are still waiting. And, you know, I can't blame them because it's worked fairly well in the last, you know, six to seven months. So, um, so, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's to give you a compare, it, to give you an understanding of the number from 1.1 to 1.2 down to 8, 8.30. Um, and it's still sometimes hard to convince people to buy because they still think that there's more blood on the streets. For sure, for sure. No, and, <laughs> and it, it, it's such a substantial drop too. I mean, granted, you know, I I know the, the comparables as well. I sold a property, mm-hmm. one of our projects as well at the, at the peak and glad I did. Yes. And, uh, now I, I see it's a, it's a huge drop, uh, especially for the duplexes. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, very interesting. Uh, what about what's going on? Yeah, I mean, the other interesting point is that you know, at at a million dollars or a million one at you know one point one percent versus um at eight eight forty at you know five percent. Um, what I'm trying to convey to people and and the comforting point right now is that from a from a payment perspective, you're fairly equal. Like your payments uh, at at a million one versus today uh, at interest rates are fairly stable. Like they're they're pretty much the same. Um, the benefit with right now is, of course, you need less capital up front because your purchase price is lower. You have a smaller principal to pay off. Um, and you, of course, you have the advantages of a buyer in this market, right? You can be very uh, conservative with your offers. You can be very conservative with your clauses. You can be conservative with your closing dates. Although I don't recommend people to have very long closing dates because comparables can really, you know, um, ruin it for you from a financing perspective. So yeah, I would say the saving grace right now is, is the smaller capital needed to get into the market. Um, and, you know, yes, there is, there's been a big correction in prices, but rental rates have not corrected as much. So rental rates have come down, come down slightly. Um, but it, it's still, it's still very good in terms of what you can get. So on a bungalow, you're, you're at least around $4,000 a month and maybe even forty-two, forty-three $4,300 a month plus utilities and hydro. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. I, I'm curious to know as to from the lending perspective, uh, yeah. like from all the deals that you recently done, has the banks, uh, lenders been uh, giving a little bit harder time to qualify? Mm-hmm. Uh, appraisals. Uh, yeah, appraisals. Yeah. Like, what, what kind of issues are you seeing from, from that perspective? Yeah, from an income very um, verification perspective, it's definitely changed. Um, you know, they're doing reference checks, they're calling employers, um, and I've heard that they even have their own guidance on the type of jobs uh, and the risk associated with that job. So, you know, um, being in tech, you know, being in the tech industry, working for a global giant may seem like a good career to have, and I'm I'm sure it is, but there's obviously a bit more risk in that. Um, of course, with all the layoffs that we've seen in the, in the tech space. So uh, they have their own guidance on who you work for and what kind of risk that brings to the table. Um, and besides that, in terms of uh, appraisals, I've heard that, um, you know, they like to do if, if a closing is more than 30 days apart, um, if they're doing an appraisal today and the closing is, let's say, 60 days from now, they might even want to do an appraisal two weeks before the closing date to make mm-hmm. sure that the value hasn't dropped materially. Um, have I seen that? Uh, have I seen appraisals coming in a lot lower? 
Um, not really, because from my experience and, and my advice to my clients has been, we need to close within 30 days or so, because otherwise there's just too much risk. And, you know, if you're in the market to buy, you know, technically you should be ready to go. Your cash should be in your, uh, in your bank account and not in the markets. Uh, and you should be already qualified to, to purchase. So, um, I'm not really dealing with anyone with more than 30 day closes. Uh, but I know that that is a risk. Um, and besides that, any additional risk, um, no, I, I would say I'd say those are those are fair numbers. Yeah, are you are you seeing like a loan to value coming? Uh, uh, you know, changing at all? Um, on, on purchases especially happening on now, like, especially on um, like investment properties. Yeah, I mean, pe- people who own, yeah, definitely loan to values are changing um, a lot for people who are purchasing right now and, and closing. Um, the loan to values aren't changing it that much. It's you know on an investment property, it's still eighty percent loan to value. Um, but on you know people's current portfolios, I think those have taken a beating. It's yeah. you know, people who were at 70 percent are now perhaps back to eighty um, percent, or maybe even. And I mean, if you've purchased in 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 the first half of the year. Um, yeah, you're probably in in a bad spot right yeah. now. Um, but uh, with, um, the message that I've been kind of again trying to get across to our current investors is that if you're on a variable, okay, let's let's figure out what your payments are, and it's kind of matter of uh, surviving the next couple of months um, until rates uh, stabilize a little bit. But besides that, you know, let's kind of um, let's stress test your property at what it could be, uh, what your numbers are going to look like at three, 4%, because I believe that that's where long-term we're going to be. Um, and I would say, you know, if you're comfortable with those returns and I'm advising people to keep it, but if people are not comfortable with those returns and, you know, they're, they're thinking that this is not what we got into, um, then I'm, then there's need, there needs to be, have a conversation on whether you need to keep this property or sell this property. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Yeah. So in terms of, I mean, I know no one has a crystal ball, but um, wh- where do we see that if you were just to predict based on what you're seeing? I know everybody's waiting for this moment um, mm-hmm. when they can start pivoting. And, you know, it's funny. I, I I don't, everyone has a different perspective, but a few people I've talked to feel that it's not going to be a, a, a rapid pivot. It's going to be sort of a, a slow, like almost stabilization. And then the, it's mm-hmm. going to be a stabilization. And then we're going to slowly maybe see some increases, right? And a lot of it has to do with, economics and interest rates and all of that good stuff. But um, in your opinion, do you think the worst is is done? And do you think that we're kind of getting into an environment in 2023 where investors should be prepared to start pulling the trigger again? I mean... I don't, I don't, I don't think there's such a thing. I, I personally think that, you know, you, like you said, you're in it for the long haul. And as long as the deal makes sense um, and you stress test it and you underwrite it properly, like it it just depends on the deal. But I know there's a lot of investors out there who are waiting for some sort of, you know, signal that, okay, now it's time and the market has definitely like hit its bottom and now it's going to go up again. And like, we should start making some moves. Yeah, I, I think um, in in Canada and in you know the last ten years we've been very privileged with with rates and real estate for that matter. For sure. You know we've always been conditioned to believe that interest rates are going to remain low or are going to come down, and we've been conditioned to believe that real estate asset prices always increase over time. Yeah. Um, and it's worked out very well for a lot of people, right? But I think that 
you know, there needs to be a bit of a reality check in terms of what the future holds. Um, in terms of, you know, do I think that the the worst has passed? I mean, it's hard to believe that we're going to have a more aggressive than increase, you know, to, to what we've already experienced, right? From from the peak of Feb till now, I think, you know, we've seen the fastest interest rate growth at you know, 350 basis points in, in over six months or so, which is, which is very aggressive. So, you know, do I think that we're in for another six months of that? I don't think so. I don't think that that could be in the plans because if it was now we're talking about interest rates going back to, you know, to, to the eighties where it was a 10%, 12%. It's very hard to imagine that considering the communication that was uh, provided by the bank of Canada, um, and the ability for the banks to allow people to take on mortgages at a very aggressive rate. So, you know, there's also a lot of risk for the banks as well. So if those rates go up, you know, the bank's not in in the market of taking on real estate and selling out depreciating real estate. They just want to be able to recoup their interest expense. So um, do I think that, you know, the worst has passed? I like to think so. Um, Do I think there's more interest rates coming? I think, yes, um, there is a bit more uh, hikes to come. Uh, And what's the indicator of that? I think I would say the indicator of that would be, you know, the global uh, economy and what's happening with the global economy. Uh, You know, we look at all the turmoil around the world. It's not very easy. I think we really got to see how much of an impact COVID can have, um, you know, the war in Europe can have in terms of supply chain and what that means to the end user and what that means to inflation. It's very, you know, evident that it's had a huge impact. And I don't think people realize that it would it would impact us this much and this far away from from Europe. So, you know, there's a lot of risk there. Um, so that's kind of talking about it on a global perspective. And that's just issues that we're aware of, right? And then when we kind of look at Canada and when we look at you know, supply and demand here, you know, the, the, um, the discussion in Canada has always been that, well, you know, demand is high and supply is very short. So that's going to allow real estate prices to stay very stable. And, and I would say it's true. I would say that, you know, we know that demand is high and immigration is, is coming and coming in fast. Um, and to that, I would say that when we talk about supply and demand, um, the demand is very um, imminent. It's now, you know, we want real estate now. Uh, immigrants are coming now. They need to play state now. People are invested and they need the market to change now. Whereas supply, it's always been, we've been talking about the supply issue for the last 10, 15 years, and there's always been red tape. Uh, and now slowly we're starting to see that supply factor kind of change, right? We saw that Bill 23 come into effect in Ontario where they're going to release Greenbelt and they need these owners of these lands to essentially have a plan to build real estate. So even if those people do that, you know, the plan to bring in the supply is going to take at least five years or so. So um, I, I like to say that, yes, I still believe and I, I still do believe in real estate as an asset to hold, but I just think that the mentality has to change. You know, we need to get away from um, being comfortable with con- consistently refinancing properties to to lever up and buy more properties. And I think we need to come to realization to where the interest rates are going to be. So I would say if you're able to um, run your numbers at, at conservative numbers, and the number I've been using is 3.75 as a stabilized market. Um, and I'm kind of doing that when I'm looking at you know, interest rates being around three to 4% and, and being on the higher end, I'm going with 3.75. That's my logic. I could be right. I could be wrong. But I would say if you're, you know, run your numbers at a a bit more of a realistic figure, but not 
very low. I don't think we're going back to, you know, the 1% anytime soon. If you're comfortable with that and you're comfortable with that ROI, I believe that, yes, we are in the market to purchase. And the other thing I would say is that your purchases need to be very strategic now. So, and for me, when we're talking about just, you know, the, the simple residential purchase that's going to be either a duplex or so, um, I believe that you know, the value on land is definitely worth more now than it was in, in previous years. So, you know, I'm not really interested in buying that lot that is 38 by, you know, 100 feet. I want bigger. I want to have the ability to, to do something, whether it be a garden suite um, or something else that's in the pipelines. I'm not sure. So I, I think that the purchase has to change and, and the mentality has to be, um, you know, the days of getting 20% ROI on a, on a single family house may be done. Um, so coming back to reality is, is my uh, understanding yeah. of this. Yeah. <laughs> well said, well said. Yeah. And, and I, I definitely agree with uh, what you're saying. I think, you know, the, those low rates are never going to, I don't see it coming back uh, mm-hmm. for, for a very long time. Uh, at least another Wait, 10 years. Uh, you know what I, I say it's, which is okay because it, it doesn't, you know, that allowed people to, the low rates really allowed some people who were investing in real estate, you know, who shouldn't be investing in real estate, investing in real estate, right? Like you had a lot of literally everyone, real estate was the topic of conversation everywhere you went. Yeah. Um, yeah. A lot of people, you know, pulled money out and, and bought pre-construction projects and newsflash for you, those pre-construction projects in 2018 didn't make sense with, you know, 1% um, interest rates. You were running negative then, and you're even running a higher negative now. So, yeah, you know the the market was yeah. just way too easy for people to get into, and and perhaps this is going to you know make make our real estate uh, economy a bit more stable and safer. Yeah, 100%. yeah, I agree, I agree, and, and yeah, those uh, those pre construction uh, investment by uh, buyers are going to be in for a uh, kind of a rude awakening. I, I don't mm-hmm. know how they're going to able to qualify, qualify yeah. and make the numbers work, uh, <clears throat> or it's going to be a very very low. Uh, leverage. Um, yeah, I'm, I mean, even if you look at um, distressed properties for sale, there is a ton of distressed assignment sales coming to market. Um, <clears throat> and they're either at purchase price or slightly above purchase price. And, you know, when you kind of figure out the the HST implications on assignment sales now, which is a new thing as well, uh, people are running at losses right away. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, Anyways, I don't know how these people are still selling and, and buying pre-construction, but I would say that that's an area where, you know, if you're, if you believe that that's something you need to purchase, perhaps get independent advice from someone else that's not in, in the pre-construction business. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> the, definitely the days of speculative investment are, mm-hmm. are, are coming to a close. Yes. And I think that that- Which is a good thing, yeah, you know? it is yeah. a good thing. I mean, they were they were causing havoc in the market too in their own ways, right? Mm-hmm. There was, like mm-hmm. you said, everybody and their mother was becoming a real estate investor um, and making decisions that were solely based on expectations of appreciation. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, that the rent doesn't even cover- the, the payments when they bought it, forget now yeah. with new interest rates, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Especially with the high prices. And now with the with the change in environment, like a lot of people have, I think, have made some um, some some pretty uh devastating mistakes. But um Yeah. The I would say the um the other benefit that this market's going to have to some people, I would say um uh, perhaps to a bit more of the savvy um investors, um is going to be a bit of the the tax um, advantages of, you know, I, I don't know if a tax advantages is the right word to use, but, you know, the tax benefits you get from losses in, um, in capital assets. So, 
you know, people running on negative uh, cash flows, you know, you're going to have the ability to kind of carry forward those losses for, for a few years. Um, and even people having non-capital losses. So, you know, let's say you, you have a flip that's gone completely bad and you're taking a, you know, a 50 to $100,000 bath on it. Um, if you're consistently in a position where you're uh, owing a tax balance at the end of the year, you know, you have a bit of a shelter there where you're going to be able to write off these, um, your owing balances. But again, like, you know, we're not in the business of, you know, taking losses and trying to offset it. Maybe if you have a large enough portfolio, but I feel like the, the average uh, consumer in the market right now is just going after uh, profits, right? They're not trying to, um, they're not trying to shelter losses here. Yeah, sure, absolutely. Sure. Yeah, yeah. So, Saman, I uh, t- uh, wanted to switch the conversation a little bit, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, tell us what what drives you. Uh, I know you got a young family. Uh, yes. Tell us a little bit about that, and and just kind of that experience of being a father. Um, yeah. You know. and yeah, and maybe talk to us a little bit about what you know you anticipate for yourself in in twenty twenty three coming. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, um, new father. Uh, my son was born January second, twenty twenty two, and you know, it's it's been a a blessing for us, but it's also been very difficult. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I was led to believe that you know it's very easy to kind of tell what's going on. They're either hungry or they need a change, or and and that's it, right? <laughs> but it's. Uh, um, I mean, you guys know, you guys have uh, three kids yourself, but it's it's been very challenging for us. And, you know, for myself and for my wife, you know, we're both self-employed. Uh, we're both entrepreneurs. And, you know, for my wife, more than anything, you know, I got to give her kudos because she's been able to, you know, really look after our son and kind of uh, be guidance there. And of course, as mothers are and, uh, and also been able to run her business and, you know, grow her business at a very fast rate during all this. Right. So um, I've been very blessed to be in an environment where we can both thrive, especially in an economy where it's going downhill. We've, we've seen to rise. So that's been very, you know, comforting for the both of us. And it's given us a lot of, um, uh, a lot of, uh, um, confidence um in ourselves so so that's been phenomenal um and then you know in terms of what what drives me of course yeah i would say it's definitely my my family um whether it be my immediate family or or my extended family my parents my my in-laws but also you know the ability to really see right i've got to i've got to have a career change um i've got to it's funny sorry so when i was at magna i was um part of the um the budgeting process, I really got to see and I got to budget what our our leadership was going to be earning in the in the foreseeable future. So, you know, I was able to see what the VP was bringing in. I was able to see what the director of finance and the whole finance team was about to bring in. And at the time, those numbers seemed very, you know, very uh, lucrative, right? They, I was like, you know, I, I would love to get to that level. And I was kind of doing the math in my head and kind of thinking, you know, how much time have these guys invested in the organization? What kind of seniority do they have? What type of time frame is it going to get me to take me to get there to that level to have these kind of earnings? And sure enough, you know, you you look at it and you're like, damn, there's a lot of there's a lot of time that needs to be invested, and that's assuming that the politics of it all also works out as well. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, making that career change and coming into real estate, you know, my first six months were rough, right? I maybe worked on two or three deals um, and prob- and I think two of those were leases. So nothing uh, amazing by any means. Um, and then, you know, I got to have my one, my one full year in real estate. And um, in that year, I got to do 19 deals, which was amazing. And I got to really, you know, see the, um, the fruits of my labor. 
um, got to see the money come in and it, it was very nice and we were very happy with it. The following year, I got to do 24 deals and I'm kind of sitting there saying, you know, I was in a position where I was making 90K a year working this uh, this accounting job, you know, stressful hours, um, stressful month ends, quarter ends, year ends, uh, audits, you know, and making 90K a year. And then you come into real estate, you work for yourself and you kind of see what kind of money you can pull in, the freedom you have to invest. And, you know, you guys have seen, you know, when you make a, when you hit a home run deal, how that feels and being able to hit a few of those, you know, just based on the, the freedom of time and freedom of choice that I had, um, you know, it, it was amazing. And, you know, really get, get to see your life change um, kind of gives you a glimpse of what you can achieve. And, you know, now looking back at the numbers that I was seeing at Magna and wondering if I can, you know, hit those numbers at any point and being able to hit them fairly early in my career, you know, it's, it feels great. So, yeah kind of seeing, you know, the fruits of your labor for myself and for my wife and, and seeing how that kind of changes our life um, has definitely given us confidence to keep going. And that's, you know, that's a drive for me for sure. Um, but besides that, also, also seeing, you know, the happiness that um, I'm able to bring to my client's face, whether it be on the transaction and on the buy and sale of their own home or, or on their investment property. So yeah, that, that's been the drive for us. And more than anything, again, I think it goes back to the freedom of time. You know, if I was at my old job right now, this would be a very busy time. Whereas now I get to watch the world cup uh, at any <laughs> day and time that I want and have the freedom to, to go to work when I want or, or stay home when I want. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's no, that's a really Amazing. good answer. Yeah, yeah, I think uh, it comes to life even more when you have children. So definitely mm -hmm. you appreciate every moment because there's not a lot of moments, it feels like. Mm -hmm. So uh, the, the days go by so fast. And, uh, I, I, you know, for us too, like I just cannot even imagine what it would feel like to have to juggle uh, commuting and schedules yes. and going yeah. into work every day and having to be, you know, reporting and uh, mm -hmm. yeah, it would, it would just be wild. So yeah, very, yeah. We, I think all of us are very, who are on our own are very grateful yes. for that very same yeah. thing. So, yeah. Yeah. um, so Saman, if people want to get in touch with you, we'll put it in our show notes as well. Mm -hmm. I think you have a pretty, uh, pretty cool Instagram page. Thank you. Um, yeah. People can follow you. Where, where, what's the handle for it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so on Instagram, it's Saman Habibi underscore real estate. Um, okay. I also have a YouTube channel where um, I try and focus very much on the Durham region and, okay. and Oshawa in specific. And that's uh, Saman Habibi underscore RE. Um, and I'm also active on Twitter where I'd like to post um, you know, data related to the market with what I'm seeing. Uh, and it's the same handle, Saman Habibi underscore RE on Twitter as well. Okay, fantastic. Perfect. We'll link it all. Um, if anybody wants to reach out, I'm sure they can find you on Instagram or um, on Absolutely. YouTube, yep. send you a message. If you guys are interested in the Durham region, highly recommend you reach out to Simon. If you just want to have a chat, I'm sure just on the market and you know when he thinks you know what's going to happen in the next few months. I, I definitely think that uh, real estate, you know, like they say, that the money is made in in buying real estate and waiting. Mm -hmm. So. Um, I, I still am not a proponent of timing the market. I think that, you know, it you got to great deals are not uh, found. They're created. Right. So yeah, yeah. we got to focus now on creating those great deals, working with people who can help us and guide us create those deals. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, still still confident that it's the best asset class out there. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, if, if I can make one thing clear is that, um, you know, there's no blanket answer for for anyone. Um 
to Khadija's point, it's all very uh, directed towards uh, each individual person and their time horizon of hold and, and risk. So I would say, um, yeah, to, to your point, Khadija, it's not about timing the market. It's about making a, uh, um, a purchase that you're comfortable with that makes sense in your portfolio, whether it's today or whether it's five, 10 years down the line. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. thanks again, Simon. Thanks for your time and the conversation. Thanks so much for being on our show. Thank you, guys. Really appreciate, appreciate it. it pleasure being here and uh, thanks for having me on the show. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation on the Savvy Real Estate Investor Show. Make sure to hit subscribe or follow on whichever platform you are listening to this on. If you liked this episode, please write a review and share it with us. We are getting the show up and running right now, so every message, every review, and every note counts. This show exists to showcase how investors at any level can start using and leverage real estate to become savvy wealth builders. If you want to learn more about how we can potentially help you create more passive income and build your wealth faster, go to www.savvyrealestateinvestor.com. Once again, it's www.savvyrealestateinvestor.com. All right, that's a wrap. We can't wait to hang out with you on the next episode.